Good morning. Right, take your Bibles if you have them. Turn to John chapter 9 as they get the slides loaded on the screen. And as uh, Chaplain Sharp and I continue in our about seven-week series of looking at the Gospels, last week we looked at John chapter 4, the woman at the well. This week we're going to look at the man born blind in John chapter 9. I'm going to talk about what true eyesight is all about as we look, focusing on the first 12 verses because that encapsulates the miracle, but then we'll get into some of the other parts of John chapter 9 as we look at the responses to the miracle in the rest of the chapter. This is what I'd like you to get out of our quick look here at this passage. That first of all, you'll be able to identify with the man who was born blind in recognizing that it is only Jesus Christ who can offer true eyesight to those who need restoration. And also, secondly, that you personally, you personally experience his glory each day as you witness Christ's power in your life. And then also, importantly, and this is something we see in the passage, that you profess it with others, you share it with others. So in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. We're told this, as he that's talking about Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. What an amazing story. What a, what a powerful miracle. Displaying the glory of God as we see in these first 12 verses. And as we look at Christ's miraculous work, I want you to see four phases or elements. They all begin with the letter D and end with the letter B. So that if you're taking notes, it's alliterated, just like last week, so that you can kind of get an idea of what I'm talking about here as we look at this passage. First of all, Jesus Christ discovers the blindness. That's an important thing that we, we see here in the first part of this section. We're told that it was Jesus who recognized that this man was born blind, and he was not focusing only on the physical blindness, but also on the spiritual blindness, because that was the purpose of the miracle to begin with. Understand that blindness is not only physical, but it's also spiritual. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and I have that up on the slide deck. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. 
but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 speaks to what the real purpose of the miracle is going to be all about here in John chapter 9. The fact that the man was blind physically, yes, blind from birth, but also he had spiritual blindness. And so Jesus Christ recognized that. He took the initiative to reach someone who needed him because he was debilitated. And that's what Jesus Christ does in each one of our lives. He reaches down, he discovers where we are at, and he meets us where we are at. And then he performs a wonderful miracle in our lives. And each one of us has a story of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives to discover where we were at without God and then to bring us closer to him through a personal relationship with himself. And if you've never experienced that, I challenge you today to understand that Jesus Christ will give you true eyesight. But Jesus had to go further in this miracle. He had to dispel the bias. He had to dispel the bias. If we look further on in the passage here, the Pharisees, they had an instant question for, for Christ. They said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They had an automatic notion that if somebody had something wrong with them physically, that automatically meant that it was because they had sinned against God or maybe it was someone in their immediate family who had sinned against God. But Jesus dispelled that notion that, that suffering is always the result of some type of direct sin. We do know in the scriptures that it can possibly be true that suffering is a result of sin because sin indeed does have consequences. In the Old Testament, the prophets of Israel spoke to the nation concerning their disobedience, right? And they told them that there would be consequences. We see the consequences as we read the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, we have passages such as Romans chapter 1, which talks about what God has done to reprobate people who have chosen to disobey his word and chosen to follow their own path. We see that throughout Scripture. But we also see in Scripture that suffering is not always the result of sin because sometimes God allows suffering to happen in order to display his glory in a special way. And I have a few examples up on the slides. If you've been raised in a Sunday school or church, you know probably most of these stories that I've got listed here. Remember Job in the final analysis? He said, naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return someday. The Lord he gives, the Lord he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Remember when Joseph was reintroduced to his brothers after they thought he was dead and then he became the prime minister of Egypt? He said that what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Or Daniel, remember when he was cast into the lion's den? Remember that? In Daniel chapter 6, he not only survived, but he thrived. And he was promoted because of the fact that he was faithful to God. You talk about prayer, Ken. Dan, Daniel was a man of prayer, right? He faced Jerusalem three times a day. And that did not keep him from the lion's den, but it just allowed him to have the strength to get through the lion's den. Or the Apostle Paul talks about his testimony in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Gives a litany of all the things that he experienced in suffering for the kingdom of God. And he said that 
it, it's only God's strength that is sufficient for me in weakness because when I'm weak, you are strong. We also have all these examples from what's called the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. All of them who did not receive their reward while they were here on this earth, but they received their reward in eternity. And then for those of us living today, when we have illness or when we have suffering befall us, a lot of times people will quote this verse to us. And as a chaplain who works in the hospital, yes, I do quote this verse, but not as a cliche, hopefully. Romans 8.28, we're told, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We know that those are promises from God's word, that suffering is not always the direct result of sin. Sometimes God uses the suffering that we're going through in order to demonstrate his glory. And I believe that in this passage here, what Jesus Christ is going to do is demonstrate his glory in a very remarkable way in order to give a message to us. So that's what we're going to see next. He discusses the beauty of the glory of God because he says that it is not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That is the man who was born blind. That God's works, God's glory would be displayed in this man. And then he talked about the fact that he, as the light of the world, would do what the Father had sent him to do. All of these passages in the Gospel of John, and there are about seven of them that are described. John chapter 20, right at the very end of the Gospel, we're told by John, who was probably the most theologically intentional of all the Gospel writers. Now Jesus did many other signs, the Greek word that is the root for the English word sign. Signs, not just miracles, but signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So all of the miracles using the word sign in the Greek, they had a manifestation of an aspect of his glory and an aspect of his deity. And I have the passages listed there. I'm not going to go through all of them. You probably know some of them, like the woman at the well, which we talked about last week, the turning the water into wine at Cana, the feeding of the 5,000. Also, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. We have all these miracles, which were signposts of Jesus Christ and a manifestation of his glory. So the application for us today is that God is still in the business of doing miracles. It may not be in the same respect that we see displayed in Scripture, but the, the concept is still the same. The reason why God does miracles in our life today is not in order for us to be able to pat ourselves on the back. It's so that God would display his wonderful beauty and glory in a special way, and so that when we see that beauty displayed in our lives, we would be blessed. And that's the fourth aspect of this miracle. Jesus Christ displays the blessing. In this case, it's the blessing of physical and then spiritual eyesight. But for us, it could be something else. The receiving of true eyesight. Go to the next slide there. Note here the symbolism of sending this man to the pool of Siloam to be washed and to receive his sight. We have a picture of that in the New Testament. It's called baptism. Throughout John's Gospel, there are countless references to Jesus being sent by the Father. And I listed a few of them here. 
The word sent is used about 53 times in the Gospel of John. Wow. And it's not always pertaining to Jesus being sent by the Father. At the end of John, in John chapter 20, says to the disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And so notice the, the concept in God, the Gospel of John of tre- receiving true eyesight. Jesus Christ was sent by God the Father in order to impart eyesight to this man in order to demonstrate that through the miracle of receiving sight, we may as well experience that same relationship with God. And that's what we're talking about here in this miracle. So you see what happens here is that this man was touched with Jesus Christ being the light of the world. and He was blind from birth and he was restored instantly through the use of the means that God had given Jesus, which was spitting on the ground and making some mud with saliva, and then going to that pool, obediently following the instructions of the Messiah. And he came back seeing. And if you've never experienced spiritual restoration, I challenge you to take a look at Jesus Christ being the light of the world for people, places, and a world at large that's totally in darkness without him. And I challenge you to consider making a decision to walk with him and to experience that restoration that you need. Well, in this passage, we have three responses to the miracle that Jesus Christ performed. And I believe that the three responses that we see here in John chapter 9 are a picture of the ways that people today perceive the gospel. So as you go through your week, I challenge you to go further on, all the way through verse 41. There's another 29 or 30 verses here. And see how maybe this typifies the way people respond to the gospel when you try to share the gospel with them today. Okay, so the man goes through phases in his conversion experience. We looked last week at the woman at the well in John chapter 4. She had some phases in her conversion experience. The man has several phases in his conversion. First of all, he simply obeyed what Jesus Christ commanded him to do back in verse 7. When Jesus told him to go and to wash, what did he do? He decided to obey the Lord and he went and he came back with his eyesight restored. And then finally, we go further on into the next set of verses. We see that he testifies plainly about what God had done in his life without giving too much commentary because the Pharisees, they wanted to know what was going on. The neighbors wanted to know what was going on because there had been such a dramatic, drastic change in him. He was a beggar who was blind from birth. And when they saw such a drastic change, they didn't believe it. I mean, they didn't know what to think. And all he could do is testify plainly about what God had done in his life. And sometimes when we get into situations where people put pressure on us and ask us all kinds of questions, the best way for us to explain where we are at with God is to just testify plainly about what he has done in our lives. And that will speak volumes. And that is what is going to win the day as we get further on in this chapter. The third phase, which goes in verses 25 to 33, when the Pharisees actually confront him, and then they, when they cast him out of, the, out of the synagogue, is in verses 25 to 33, where they actually challenge him, and where he concludes that it is God who did a miracle in his life, and they said, we're going to have to cast you out, because you obviously were born in utter sin, and you, you can't teach us anything like this. But he glorified God courageously by saying, 
that it was a work of God that had restored his eyesight. And in some settings, we have to have the same type of courage to declare that we're going to glorify God no matter what. And then finally, in verses 35 through 38, we're told Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? This is what he had to say. And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to you, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. That goes back to chapter 20. Remember John in chapter 20 said, These, that is, these seven miracles are written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so this man came to a point of conversion. So he started off with simple obedience. Then he testified plainly about what God had done in his life. Then he glorified God courageously in a very hostile environment under the threat of being kicked out of, out of the temple. And then he worshipped Christ boldly and proclaimed that he believed in him. Powerful testimony. Now the second response is the hardened skeptics. The hardened skeptics. These are the people that are, I guess, the type that you may run into when you go around during your week. We had a spirituality group up at the hospital um, this past Wednesday. I do spirituality groups in uh, the 7 South program. And uh, it's interesting that we get about 80% of the folks, we had 14 in our group this past Wednesday, who said that they started off in the church and then... Now, either they're atheists or they're spiritual. We had two guys, in fact, who said to me straight out that they used to be in the church. They were raised as card-carrying Southern Baptists, but now they're atheists because of the fact that intellectually they cannot believe that the Bible is the Word of God. We run into people like that all the time. You notice the Pharisees were hardened skeptics concerning Jesus Christ. Here are some of their concerns. They were concerned about the legalistic requirements of the observance of the Sabbath. You see that Jesus did this miracle on the Sabbath day because he was trying to teach something else. He was trying to teach that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. He had authority over human institutions and traditions and customs. They were so concerned about the legalistic requirements of what work was on the Sabbath that they could not see the glory of God displayed in this man's life. They were skeptical of the sign because they had intellectual doubts. But when those doubts were uh, answered, they still would not respond because they accused both Jesus and this man of being sinners from the beginning. So they allowed their theological biases to get in the way of being able to receive Jesus Christ. And then finally, they used this guise of being what they described as disciples of Moses in order to resist the gospel. And so the final analysis concerning the skeptics is that they were the ones that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In verses 40 and 41, we're told, Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. So the Pharisees remained hardened skeptics. And each one of us is going to run into those type of people in today's day and age, especially in a day and age where you have on one side people that use religion as uh, some type of crutch to kind of get them away from talking about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And on the other hand, you have other people that are going to use intellectualism and other types of philosophical arguments to try to get away from having a discussion about who Jesus Christ really is. We're going to have to deal with that today in today's world. So that's the second response to Jesus. We have one more response. And if you look at the center section of this passage, when they were skeptical, they had to go to the parents. Beginning in verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he'd been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see now? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but now he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So the parents knew what had been accomplished, but they decided to pass the buck. They were afraid of people. And because of that fact they were afraid of the response of people, they decided that they would just pass the buck and they would compromise. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I love this passage of Scripture. It's a very simple, short couple verses. Paul says to Timothy, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And as army chaplains, Ken and I have to make these choices each week at least, maybe sometimes daily. Where is our final allegiance going to lie? Is it going to be with Jesus Christ or is it going to be with man? R.C. Sproul, in his book talking about the Gospel of John, puts it this way. He says, we are like this man and woman, talking about the parents. God works in our lives and gives us blessings that we cannot possibly describe. But when the heat is on, we are quick to disassociate ourselves from him. I pray that each of you, if and when you are called upon to profess your faith in Christ before hostile people, will have the integrity and courage to do it. Do we have that integrity? Do we have the courage to do it? The parents did not have that. And obviously there may have been other circumstances in play here because the Pharisees certainly had a strong sway and they were scared about being excommunicated. But when the rubber meets the road, we need to make sure that we take a stand for what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. So here's the final paradox, and this is something that applies to our world today. The final paradox is this. Go ahead to that next slide. This is the paradox. This, oops, we're missing it. So the paradox is this. I'll read it for you. The one who is blind can now see. The ones who think they can see are actually blind. The one who is blind can now see. The ones who think they can see are actually blind. So how about each of us? Do we think that we can see and we're actually blind? And that can pertain to those of us who have accepted Christ as our Savior, but maybe we walk around blind in our day-to-day -day lives because of the fact that we trust in ourselves more than we trust in Jesus Christ. But in this case, the people who are the most religious in the passage are the ones 
that were the most blind and the one that was the least religious and had the least monetarily and materially was the one who could now see because he was touched by the glory of God. So what should we do about it? It goes back to verse 4. It goes back to verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And I have a passage from Ephesians chapter 5 as my final challenge to those of you who know Jesus Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Just like Jesus said, I am the light of the world, we are as well representatives because we are his light in the world. And so we are to walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And then he says this as a final challenge. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. It's just, just like this man who was born blind displayed the light of the glory of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says to those of us who know him personally that it is our job, it is our mandate, it is our calling to display the glory of Jesus Christ every day of our lives. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. As the music team comes up, let's uh, bow our heads for a quick moment of prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity we have to be able to enjoy time in the Word of God. And I thank you, Lord, for this wonderful, glorious miracle that we see here in John chapter 9 of the man who was born blind, who was restored not only to physical eyesight, but also restored to a miraculous relationship with the living God. I pray, God, whatever our need is here today, whether it is to make that first time profession of faith in Jesus Christ so that our spiritual blindness would be lifted, or maybe because we are walking around kind of in a haze and a fog because we are, we are Christians, but we're not walking as children of light. I pray, God, that you would just use this passage of Scripture to speak truth to our lives. We again thank you for our time together. We pray that you go forth with us into this week, challenging us and encouraging us. In Jesus' name, amen.